Welcome to Better Money, a show that points an x-ray at folks driving capital and driving change, people working for better money. I'm Jefferson Smith, and I come from the nonprofit world. And I'm Noelle Brown, and I come from the for-profit world. Today, we're joined by Astrid Schultz. Welcome. Hi, it's good to be here. Astrid is a recovering nonprofit executive turned tech entrepreneur. She's the co-creator of Accelerate and Zebras Unite, and most days she can be found at Sfera as the chief everything officer. First spinning question we have is, what is Sfera? What do you do? <laughs> Sfera is a technology and system design firm dedicated to accelerating the pace of change. As, a, as an economist, I got upset with the slowness by which we're making change in the world and thought, geez, wonder if we could use contemporary technology to help that industry get its act together. So that's what we're doing. Fabulous. Can... My, my follow-up question is, uh, what does Sfera do? <laughs> design systems that part i get give, give a garden variety example of a client or a sure. project or was it the kind of project you really nail do well sure so a uh, garden variety um client is a large foundation in the pacific northwest that shall remain unnamed but suffice to say they spend on the order of 100 million dollars a year in just one program area uh, water and sanitation that globally is a 1.7 trillion dollar problem so very quickly you realize that one foundation doesn't have enough money to solve this massive problem. And so we went in and talked with them about, well, what is it you're trying to do? Are you trying to shovel $100 million out the door? Are you trying to solve a $1.7 trillion problem? And they said the latter. Hmm. We really want to solve water and sanitation. And we said, great, why are all your systems, everything you do, from your grants management software to your business practices, why is everything organized around shoveling $100 million out the door? when it is this other thing you want to do. And that's what we're building towards, right? Better, literally, technology and uh, also the uh, accompanying business practices around achieving those bigger purposes. So it sounds like more than just identifying different metrics, right? Did you Correct. did you get all the grants delivered and did they yeah. succeed in giving grant reports and more like how many people now have water and sanitation? Well, and how do you how do you how do you connect with all those people that are in urgent need? You know, there's over a billion people still defecating in the open in the world and it's what 2019 is ridiculous, right? So how do you connect with those people that urgently need services? How does a big foundation here in the US relate to those citizens? How do you, you know, identify solutions? How do you then crowd in capital from uh, private uh, equity, for example, or from institutional investors? And those, those, those literally those systems, like literally computer systems that could move that information at the moment either don't exist or don't talk to each other very efficiently. That's fascinating. Is there anything it can't solve? <laughs> it's it's really just plumbing. I mean, it sounds. I mean, remember remember the time we're all old enough here to remember the time when you had to take traveler checks when you traveled internationally, mm -hmm. and now you just whip out your debit card, mm -hmm. right? The fact that that's now possible is because somebody built the underlying infrastructure, and mm -hmm. all we're saying is there's a piece of underlying digital infrastructure that needs to be built to help us mobilize data and innovations and capital. Do you mind if I drill in a little bit more? Go ahead. Okay, so now I'm this foundation to be unnamed, and I'm going to spend my hundred million dollars. Now I'm going to start instead of just tracking how much money we've moved, I'm trying to track the problem and how people are interacting with the problem. So if I'm at that foundation, 
what is different for me? What am I looking at on the screen? Or what's a thing, help me put my arms around or my hands around the thing that's being built for these folks. After you've helped them figure out they should be tracking other stuff and have new infrastructure, what does that infrastructure do? Well, in an ideal world, it would help, it would give them real-time information of how their investments from grants to financial investments are performing for those people that are currently underserved. And they would make better decisions looking at a dashboard that literally shows them everything from, you know, how many more people now have access to sustainable sanitation to, you know, how many different types of investors want to put in not just millions but billions into helping solve that problem. And then you're not duplicating efforts. Exactly. Right. Mm -hmm. There's a huge amount of duplication of effort in the mm -hmm. social change industry. And again, as, a, as an e economist, that was one of the things that was driving me nuts. Mm -hmm still is <laughs> driving me nuts. <laughs> well, there's a lot of work to do. Mm -hmm. But um, I understand that this is not the only thing you do and that you also are co-founder of Zebras Unite. And it's Zebras, not Zebras. Can you talk a little bit about what that is? That's right. It's Zebras Unite because from the get-go, it wanted to be an international movement of entrepreneurs and investors that are building businesses that are better for the world. So my company, Sfera, is a zebra company, and it is surprisingly difficult to find capital for these ambitious um, or companies that you know you don't easily put into a you know Hollywood pitch. Oh, it's like the Tinder for impact investing. No, <laughs> it's not that. Um, and so it turns out there are lots and lots of entrepreneurs out there that have really great ideas for solving more or less complex. Uh, problems in the world and using businesses to do so, and who are not particularly well served by mm -hmm. banks or venture capital. And so a few of us got together and almost exactly to the day, uh, three years ago, wrote uh, a blog post, Sex and Startups, sort of riffing on some of the narratives that you encounter in, in VC and increasingly the uh, uh, sordid practices one encounters in, in VC. And then two years ago, we wrote a manifesto, Zebras Fix, uh, What Unicorns Break. Mm -hmm. And the response was overwhelming. Mm. <laughs> so we had to create an organization around it that basically becomes a, a global support organization for this international community. How do people learn about Zebras Unite? Well, you learn about it because maybe you saw our shining faces in the New York Times a few weeks ago. Yeah. Or because you hear from other founders about here's this thing, this, this home for people like us. Uh, or also you can just go to zebrasunite.com. <laughs> and help differentiate or give further definition to unicorn versus zebra, not zebra. The, the <laughs> unicorn is the magical thing that does what or fails to do what, and the zebra is defined by what? Maybe even give another example of another zebra. Um, well, there's a bunch here in town. So one of my co-founders um, of Zebra Unite, Amada Zabeda, has a company called Switchboard looking at uh, basically turning education and, and university education into a, a community, alumni into a community rather than uh, just sort of the market for, for the next set of donations for, for a college, for example. Uh, so she fits that description. Um, the contrast with unicorns, you know, journalists get really excited about that. I mean, we're not we're not down on unicorns or down on VC um, per se. Unicorns are mythical creatures, right? And the name was um, coined, the term was coined by Eileen Lee uh, to describe then companies with a billion dollar market cap. Mm -hmm. And that, of course, now is commonplace, right? And And what it represents is the unicorn represents that quest for, you know, market domination, the land grab, you know, trounce all your competitors, be first, you know, growth at all cost. And the investing model is one that looks for basically short-term exits and the 10x and 100x return 
on your initial investment. Whereas the Zebra does what? Whereas Zebras are uh, also very ambitious companies and may well become unicorn-like over time, but they uh, tend to combine profit and purpose. Um, they're real. <laughs> they um, tend to try to become profitable before they become big um, and generally hold on to a different set of principles of, of how they want to grow a business that is not just about um, you know, solving a, a trivial problem, but actually improving our world in the process. Fabulous. Well, it seems that you have taken this path and that the things that you're doing all are related to each other. So the question is, how did you ever get on this path in the first place? <laughs> What's your origin story? My origin story? Well, there I was, a young girl in Germany. <laughs> um, I, uh, I studied economics um, in college and took it all the way through a PhD in ecological economics because economics makes the world go round, right? I was really interested in from the perspective of understanding uh, power and influence and economics seemed like like a good discipline to to understand and then spent the better part of 15 years working in a conservation-based development organization right here on the west coast ecotrust headquartered here in portland and then over time began to observe that there's just a lot of um redundancy of effort and a lot of what in economics we would call uh, asymmetries of information. So I started to understand this industry that I was working in, you know, you can think of as the nonprofit industry or the social change industry, as an industry that exists because markets and governments are failing us, right? Mm -hmm. So it is, if markets and governments were working well, we wouldn't need all the millions of nonprofit organizations out there. So if you, if you accept that basic observation, right, then that industry really cannot afford to be ineffective at a moment in history when we are confronted with all these urgent problems, right, whether it's climate change or right here at home uh, in our hometown homelessness. Yeah. And so when you work in an industry long enough, you realize what the sort of pathological patterns are, right, mm -hmm. the, the sorts of behaviors that create these perverse outcomes. And right around at the same time, we began to see the emergence of incredibly powerful technologies. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, a few people started, started asking ourselves, well, why is it that we can, for example, connect with our high school buddies from 30 years ago, but I cannot find another practitioner working in whatever area I'm working in, conservation, say, somewhere else in the world? Well, and the simple answer is because nobody had built technology for that purpose. But if it existed, mm -hmm. so we thought, mm -hmm. wouldn't it be easier then to find all the things that are already working? Mm -hmm. And so then instead of duplicating effort, mm -hmm. I could just stand on what you have already created over there in wherever, China, right? And bring it to my local context and just focus my energy and my scarce resources mm -hmm. on adapting what's already working instead of reinventing it. And so that's what propelled me to make this weird midlife change, <laughs> career change, from being a, you know, nonprofit executive and with a big staff and executive assistant and whatnot, to, um, you know, running a startup where, and I ironically call myself the chief everything officer, because, you know, when it's four of you, you kind of have to do everything. Exactly. <laughs> How do you know your business now is successful? How are you measuring success? Uh, profit, number of employees, something else? Um, there is the near term, and there is sort of the reality of like our bills getting paid, and you know maybe one of these months I can pay myself again. Um, and then there is the: Are we having the effect? Are we having the the impact in the world that we are looking to have? Right. So, for me, success will show up when we can reorient some of these large institutions, like this foundation I was alluding to earlier, 
and help them change their practices, you know, with a little bit of help from technology so that what they do aligns much better with their aspiration in the world as opposed to sort of the mechanical shoveling out the, the money out of the door. <laughs> what are you proudest of? What am I proudest of? Yeah. Hmm. You know, it's, um, it's always such a tough question. Uh, it's the, <laughs> I think it's getting, it coming into the real, realization that um, uh, I, I have a voice. I like it. I'm not afraid to use it. Um, and I, I'm, I'm sort of beyond caring what, what other people think about me in the moment, right? That whole sort of bossy bitch girl type thing that, that we're all confronted with. So that moment of evolution of just, um, you know, having no, no, no f***s left to give, right? <laughs> it's a good place to arrive at in your, in your life. That's very freeing. It is so freeing. <laughs> Well, and being able to model that. So the pride piece is being able to model that for my daughter, who's already way more punk than I ever will be. So, <laughs> My daughter's my inspiration, too. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. She has no fear. So, you know, you, you've gotten to this point where you've had several different careers and now you have kind of this this harmony existing between all the various fingers you have and pies that all somehow are affected in this better money ethos, you know, mm -hmm. driving capital towards change and, you know, not just profits but purpose. Mm -hmm. When has it not worked? What's been an epic fail for you? Hmm. You know, the, 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 the road that I'm, the path that I'm on now is more um, characterized by lots of small failures. You know, they're sort of the, the the arrogance of thinking that you've got your business model all figured out and it's all just going to pan out and then you realize no oh shit that didn't work mm -hmm. right and having to retool and having to sit with that that oh the thing that I thought I knew so well um, turned out to be not quite the case uh, and sort of so the the I don't know if it's a, that's why it doesn't feel like an epic failure but it's um, it taps right into all those. Um, Feelings of inadequacy and shame and, you know, I'm somehow I'm, I must not be doing it right because, geez, our revenues aren't bearing out because, you know, I made a mistake of how I projected things would go. And, of course, the reality is we're, we're on somewhat of a bleeding edge, right? And mm -hmm. there, is no, there is no right way. <laughs> it's just the way. <laughs> when, I, when I hear you speak, it reminds me of so many folks we've had on the show thus far who are very passionate about mm -hmm. the work that they're doing. And it's apparent that they really almost have religion around it. You know, and so my question is, what happens when you encounter someone who doesn't fully understand what you do or the perspective you have, the philosophy you have? How do you convert that person? How do you invite them to think more broadly at the possibilities and not just think so traditionally in the paradigms that exist? I don't try to convert people. Um, <laughs> one of my mentors uh, said, you know, you get used to, um, when you're so used to looking around the next bend in the river, right, then, then that's what you keep doing. And you realize at some point that not everybody does that or even wants to do it. And, um, of course, there's a wonderful theory of, of sort of technology and innovation adoption, right? And so... What it means in reality for me is sort of on a day-to-day -day basis, I mean, we, we go looking for the fellow pioneers and the early adopters, and you very quickly essentially 
realize if somebody is going to be maybe an early majority or a late majority or a laggard. And that's not a pejorative term. It just means they will be much more persuadable when you have more market traction. And so I'm, you know, that's actually one of the, maybe one of the epic failures, right? Thinking that I could convert every person. Hell no, mm. <laughs> right? Mm. You, 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 I mean, now that we've talked to over 1,300 organizations, I, I can show you the distribution of where they fall on that spectrum from pioneer to laggard. And that's been, that's been a revelation. And so mm. in, a, in an interpersonal um, context, it just means that I, I listen. I try to understand where people are at and where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. And you sort of feel your way towards common ground. Mm-hmm. But, you know, um, unless I'm trying to sell you on my, my product or service, right, we can have a wonderful conversation wherever that person is at um, and just leave it at that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's the thing that's exciting you most right now? Right now? <laughs> this week. <laughs> this week. <laughs> this week. What's exciting me this week? Well, what's 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 been exciting to me is so when I when I set out on this this journey, this sort of lateral transition. Um, so what's exciting me this week is that Zebras Unite hit over two thousand two hundred people online. Bendy. Right. This is like a year after launching the online community. So if I was pitching this to investors, I'd be saying we're growing twenty two percent month over month. Right. And based on what? Based on having articulated a set of principles. So what's exciting to me this week and every week is that it turns out there are thousands of people, millions of people out there, right? So I'm not alone. <laughs> None of us are alone. Um, and it's been um, wonderful to keep running into more and more people that sort of see the, the state of the world, feel the same sense of urgency, have a compulsion to do something about it, uh, and maybe even have the means and the opportunity to do something. And that's been, that's, that's been exciting. So I, I, I get really, yeah. It's exciting to find these fellow travelers and just go go do it already. <laughs> and what's the next milestone for you that you're attending to? So on the business side, what we're looking for after having spent several years sort of in the strategic consulting arrangements, like I, I was explaining with that foundation, we're now approaching the point where I think one or more of our clients and partners will be at that tipping point where they're ready to invest in a piece of this infrastructure just around their needs and that's how we will begin to build what wants to be a global distributed democratic infrastructure. And so we have a number of these that are just use cases, as you would say, right, that that are ready to turn. And that's going to be what I'm excited about this <laughs> this year, seeing that finally happen, because, of course, I was ready for that to have happened about three years ago. <laughs> so basically the theoretical to the actual implementation. And or, or, the, or the talking about it to, all right, now what are we going to do about it, mm. right? Like they paid us to tell them what the problem is, and now they're ready to invest in the solution. It's exciting. We're now at the rapid round. Oh, dear. (laughs) (laughs) This is the series where we go through a very quick rapid round of questions. So let's begin. Piece of advice you got that still inspires you. You're smart enough, get published. (laughs) Hazel Henderson said that to me about 25 years ago. (laughs) A book that needs to be on our bookshelves other than one that you have written. You can plug that one, too, but give oh, us no. at least two, then. No, no. Nobody needs to read my book. Um, what was your book? You have to have to say so. <laughs> uh, Don Wright, uh, who was a, then an OS, uh, OSU prof- professor, uh, now at ESRI, and I co-edited an anthology on uh, an edited volume on um, basically uh, using geographic information systems in ocean conservation. In addition to the anthology of using information systems in ocean, and I forget the last word, what's a book that should be on everybody's bookshelf? <laughs> Um, 
Hmm. I thought about this on the way over and um, the economist in me wants to say wealth of nations. Adam Smith. It's a classic. Uh, what we forget, and, and you can hear from my accent, I wasn't born in the States. Um, you know, economics in this country is is so ahistorical, right? And so then we end up with this weird shifting baseline in the public imagination about what the state of things should be. And, um, and so I'd like for people to just go back to some of the beginnings, because when you read an early economist like Adam Smith, it's like it's all about the, the, the moral reason behind creating markets and creating businesses. Is there a certain quote you try to live by? Yes, it, there is, oddly enough. Um, I am a part of all that I have met, yet all its experience is but an arch where through gleams that untraveled world whose horizon fades forever and ever as I move. Something you just learned to surprise you. Uh, it's not just as of this week, but um, 81% of businesses are not served by venture capital or don't access venture capital or bank lending. So there's a huge market of businesses and entrepreneurs that need other forms of capital. Wow. 81%. Wow. Can you tell us something about you that few people know? Yeah, very few people know that I uh, travel with an emergency clown nose. <laughs> Never leave home without it, because when life gets too absurd, it comes out. There it is. There it is, the emergency clown nose. Thank you for spending time on Better Money. This is the best answer to that question we've gotten yet. Perfect. <laughs> You're so welcome. Big thanks to Amalia, Ruth, Will, Chase, and Miranda. And please do rate and review the podcast with five stars. It helps the show to get noticed. And if there's someone who inspires you that we really should interview, email us at bettermoney@xray.fm. I'm Jefferson Smith, and my MBA height is six foot five inches tall because they exaggerate their heights by an inch and three quarters. And I'm Noelle Brown, and I fit comfortably in coach. And I'm Jefferson Smith, and I fit uncomfortably in the overhead bin. <laughs> Do you use the Oxford comma? The Oxford comma, as opposed to the... Not using the comma. Like, when, you know, eat shoots and leaves. Do you use a comma after shoots? Yes, I do. Okay. But, uh, Can we still be friends? Absolutely. I do, too. <laughs> I think it's a better way to go. I, I mean, get confused when people don't. I, I, that's why everybody should I use, use a it. semicolon. Interesting. As much as I can. What's your favorite sport? Boof. Water polo. Hmm. Formerly known as water rugby. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. And then they started riding horses? No, because it was super elite, so they wanted it to sound fancier. Oh. Water polo. I didn't know that's why. <laughs>